Awesome. Well, we get to jump back into uh, the series uh, in John. And so just to quickly recap, what we've got is Russ start us, uh, started us off with talking about uh, again, what is walking in the light? And he talked about walking in the light means obeying God's commands. And then Wes shared with us, walking in the light means turning our backs against the world's agenda. And so uh, we as a, a team, we're, we're going through these. And so just a, a quick just lesson for those out there. Don't ever, uh, you know, if your wife's birthday is ever on when you're picking these scriptures, uh, you get to have a doozy of a preach ahead of you. And so today I'm going to talk about sin. And we've locked the doors and I've got my snipers around the edges so like nobody can get out. Um, joking aside, obviously today's uh, for us as individuals and as a society, right? Sin is not something we like to talk about, especially personal sin. And this message, uh, it, it, hit, it hits home. Uh, and the reason being is, I was just reflecting on, I, I think it was maybe a, a few years ago, I, I can't remember, but we, as a church, we took a look at this series called the Conquer Series, which deals with sexual sin. And we, as a group um, uh, of men, we tackled this area of sexual sin as Christians. And the reason why this hits home is this is an area in my life where I have accountability. I have people on the eldership team that uh, I have frequent conversations with, that I have them uh, even as far as accountable as watching what, you know, content I'm looking at because I need accountability in this area. And so this idea of accountability really hits home and now, when we talk about confessing our sins, nobody can feel bad about it because I've just stood up here and done it in front of like 200 people. So now it's, I've opened, opened the door. And trust me, it's not easy to stand up here. So walking in the light, dealing with sin in God's way. But first, just a quick little background. John is talking to Christians that, that he knows, that he has a relationship with. You can see the bluntness and the straightforwardness in many of his talks. John also uses this meth- method called amplification, which means John takes a few ideas and he uses different angles. He uses different emphasis. So stark contrast between simple images of maybe light and darkness and good and evil. For a teacher, this wasn't so fun. I like it, you know, one, two, three, four, but it's all over and all these things interjected. So it was fun just trying to just soak into the word and get to the main points of this. And so this morning what I'm going to do is we're going to read kind of a lengthy, the lengthy piece of scripture and then I'm going to uh, reflect on those. So first, uh, if you have a Bible or digitally, but they'll also be up on the screen, is 1 John 5, and then we'll go into a little bit of chapter 2, and then also into chapter 3. So first, 1 John 5, starting at verse 5. This is the message we have heard 
him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. On to chapter 2, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours, but, only for all, but also for the sins of the world. Moving on to chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. So 1 John 3, 4 to 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has, has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Pretty uh, light reading this morning to get us started. Um. So you can, you can see the weight of this. And trust me, many, many verses in there make you scratch your head and ponder. And I have pondered for months <laughs> and weeks and days and middle of the nights. And so the first theme that I want to pull out this morning is walking in the light means dealing with sin in God's way. John uses this idea of light and darkness. Darkness is the opposite of light and thus symbolizes evil. Darkness keeps things hidden. We can't see what's ahead. And I was thinking about this. Has anyone experienced this? And I'm sure you have. Think of a super dark room. And you enter, maybe you've been in the light and you enter that dark room. And I just had this picture of, you know, how you just kind of pan at the air, and you're just hoping that you don't stub your toe or smash your shin on something, right? That's what darkness is like. There is also a story of a man who enters a dark room, and eventually he feels this soft and warm fur. But those that are ahead of us here, when the light goes on, he realizes that it's the underbelly of this monster, right? The dark hides things. 
What's amazing is light changes all of that. It exposes dangers and frees us from the lurking power of it. It opens the way to the goal. It is full of hope and promises and the happiness of attaining our goals. In God, the stumbling blocks, the cliffs, the low-hanging branches are all exposed. And we are made safe from them. There is a walk, though. There is a lifestyle that results from the miracle of new birth. When you are given the eyes to see the surpassing worth of the light of God. Because God is light, the believer must live a life of holiness and transparency and openness towards God. And now taking from chapter 3, right in verse 4 of chapter 3, John uses the word everyone. We know that Jesus was the only one without sin, but he wants to make sure that he's included everybody in there. One might think that lawlessness and sin are interchangeable words, as we see in, in that piece of scripture. But why did John possibly separate those two? Maybe because sin could be defined as an idea of almost missing the mark. Whereas lawlessness implies a more serious offense and purposefully disregarding the law of God. John mentioned this possibly because there was some groups at the time that were downplaying the seriousness of sin. But the apostle insists that any form of sin is rebellion against God. In the early church, possibly the concept of Gnosticism could have been creeping in. Possibly the same people as in verse 8. They believed they were per- that they were perfect, that they maintained complete freedom from sin. Gnostics believe that anything done in the body, even though the grossest of sin, has no meaning because, because real life existed in the spiritual realm only. They had a disconnect between the spiritual and the physical body. It doesn't matter how we live, I'm good in the spiritual. And so John was possibly addressing this. But again, back to this word of lawlessness. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my own desires. I become law to myself. And again, when I think of this word lawlessness, the first thing that popped into my head was this idea of kind of the Wild West. And I kind of thought of this, this tavern, right? And imagine the, the, the movies out there where the guys are sitting in a tavern, they're playing cards, and somebody looks at them wrong. What happens? The guns start coming out and shooting people and everything, right? Lawlessness, right? They're doing things their own way, right? I don't like that. I'm just going to do it my own way. The work of Satan is to tempt us to reject the authority of God and become like gods ourselves, Satan works to nurture and cultivate the pride that puts its own desires above the law of God. This is lawlessness. This is the essence of sin. And this is what the Son of God came to destroy in you and in me. The second point that I would like to highlight is walking in the light means staying in the light. Ponder for a moment the value of light. As we've heard, God is light. And I don't know if any of you have also experienced being without power for a while. Or maybe uh, when you go camping and you have no power, you start to really... Or uh, the other thing I was thinking about is if you lose power in your house, how many of you do this? I do this all the time. How many times do you flip on the light switch? You go to the room, flip. You're like, oh yeah. Go to the next room, flip. Ah, right? 
the value of light. It means seeing things for the way they are. This helps us in our decision making. It helps us to not stumble over objects. When an obstacle is in front of us, we can move around it. We can go over it. We can avoid it. You're able to see what's coming. Since God is light, John uses a double negative to state without doubt that there is no darkness in him. God is truth is another way that we could say God is light. Nothing is totally understood until it is seen in the light of God. We don't even get to the, I have to use a sports analogy, we don't even get to like the first base of truth if we leave God out of the equation. John possibly uses the idea of light because of maybe the diminishing word of truth, right? What does truth mean, especially in today's culture? Light possibly has, still has a positive connotation to it. My third point, walking in the light means having fellowship with God and fellowship with others. Walking in the light is a condition of fellowship, not only with God, but also with other believers. The result of such a holy life is twofold. We have fellowship not only with God as one might expect, but with each other. Both kinds of fellowship are tied together. John shows us that a genuine intimacy with God is the only possible basis for deep fellowship with other Christians. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him and with others. So verse 7 teaches us that the only way to preserve the precious jewel of deep unity with God and with other believers is to walk in the light. I was reading something about uh, some monasteries in Scotland and in Ireland. And what many of them did is they would have their, the main buildings, but then about 20-minute walk away, they would have these little shelters where you could go in and you could fellowship just with God by yourself. They truly understood the significance of what we're doing this morning, the fellowship together, but also they understood that there has to be fellowship with God on an individual level as well. Because as, as we meet with God, right, God helps us see our brother and sister how God sees them. The enemy knows how powerful fellowship is, and he'll do anything he can to divide and conquer. With this word of fellowship, I can't help myself. Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, I can't help myself. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. It's, it, it. Yeah, and New Zealand, you know, it's, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> but think of this word fellowship, and again, thinking of the first movie, when that scene, right, where who's going to take the ring, and, and all of a sudden these people start to put up their hands. But as you see, as the movie progresses, what happens is Sauron, kind of the, the, the demonic kind of perception, right, the uh, evil one, what does he try to do? He tries his hardest to break up that fellowship. He knows the power that's in that fellowship. He knows that they stand for each other. He knows that they will fight for one another. And he does anything he can to separate it. 
And just that picture, remember, of, of Boromir as he tries to steal the ring from Frodo, right? As Thorin starts to whisper, like, hey, I, I, I want that thing. And he starts to break it apart. And then quickly what you see is, is once Boromir comes, kind of comes to, right? You can see just how he's just so hurt that he had done that. But that's what the enemy wants to do with us. Fellowship takes work. It takes effort. But when we have, again, when we're walking in the light and we have that relationship with God, God helps us with that fellowship with one another. And we've talked about this uh, over the last little while, but that idea of fellowship with God, the vertical, but it also helps with the horizontal, with you and I, and how significant that is. So number four, walking in the light means cleansing from sin. So chapter one, verse nine, what does it mean to be forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness? It refers to justifying effect of Christ's shed blood, blotting out all sins and giving us the eternal acceptance of God. It refers to also the moral power of the blood of Jesus to help us conquer temptation. So that in the end of all our sin, we actually become, we actually overcome, and we will stand really pure and sinless before God. Jesus came not to just to cover sin, he came to conquer sin. The ongoing effect of Christ's blood is to cleanse our hearts in such a way that we cannot be content sinning. Notice that in verse 7, it says cleansed. In verse 9, it says sins are forgiven. The condition for cleansing in verse 7 is, a, is walking in the light. The condition for forgiveness in verse 9 is the confession of our sins. Let's make it clear Walking in the light does not mean perfection. Otherwise, we would not need to be cleansed as it talks about in verse 7. John is not talking about sinless perfection. He is stating that when we are born of God, we're not content sinning. When we walk in light, we hate the sin. We fall into a name of it and being an ugly thing, and we agree with God about it, and we turn from it. So confessing sin is a crucial part of walking in the light. So later in chapter 3, when John says that a person born of God cannot sin, he must mean that a person born of God has new wants and new desires. It's like birth. Something new has come into an existence. John is showing us the walking in the light takes effort, confession, and a change. Confession opens the channel for forgiveness. Helps fellowship where the enemy, on the other hand, wants us to be cut off and isolated in our own sin. A person who walks in the light confesses our sin. Means we see sin the way God does and we agree with God. He hates sin. He's sorry for sin. He turns and he flees from it. That's what we must do. When sin is pointed out in our lives, we don't slough it off. With maybe self-righteousness, we confess, we admit it, and we repent. 
And when we walk in the light, it honors the purpose of God in Christ to destroy the works of the devil. It takes seriously the necessity for, of the glorification of God in our bodies. It leads people to real faith instead of encouraging to be content with lip service that cannot change and, we cannot, and cannot save. We need to walk the walk in other ways. We confess our sin, God purges us from all wrongdoing. And again, I really feel like that for today is such an important thing with our culture and how I know I can and can easily get caught up in today's culture. But showing that, hey, you know, yeah, I've got some Christian friends, but it doesn't really seem like there's much difference between them and me. This idea of walking the walk and, and standing for things that God stands for, for kingdom culture. Now there's this important word backing up to 1 John chapter 2. Propitiation. How many of you have ever heard that word or use it in their regular vocabulary? <laughs> I'm just glad I said it right. I was so nervous. I was like, I'm going to totally. I don't even know if I did, so if I didn't say it right. I like did that Google, you know, like thing and listen and listen. Okay, I just keep listening over and over again. Try to get it right. But why is that word so important? Why is it bolded and underlined in my notes? Because Jesus is that. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus took our sin. Propitiation is a two-part act that involves appeasing the wrath of an offended person and being reconciled to him. Or one who testifies on our behalf. But how... How can we even come close to trying to define this? I thought of a few examples. One is the story of a chief. And the village has this problem with somebody stealing various things in the village. And the offender, when caught, was going to be whipped. And so what happens is after they find out who it was, it's actually the chief's mother who has been stealing. So the chief gets everything set up. She's tied to a pole. The whipmaster comes out. Her old frail back is exposed. The whipmaster brings up his whip. And what happens is, is the people, again, you can imagine what's going to happen. Chief raises his, his arm and, and he, he comes down and he begins to take off his shirt. And what does he do? He covers his body over his mother's and he asks the whipmaster to continue. Or maybe another story that we could relate to is Maximilian Kolbe. If anybody has, has heard of that story is um, back in the war, he was in a concentration camp and what happened is some prisoners escaped and so what they decided to do is they decided to take 10 individuals and starve them to death. And as a man starts to feel the weight of what's going to happen, he cries out and he, he says, oh, my family and, and all these sort of things, you can imagine this, this situation. And Maximilian comes forward and he says, I'll take his place. Jesus did that for us. He, he took our place. He's the perpetuation for us today, tomorrow. Isn't that amazing, friends? 
Christ is face to face with the Father interceding on our behalf. What an advantage to have the judge son as our advocate. But John talks about the benefits are for everyone. The benefits of Christ's death are available to the entire world, he says. But we need to apply this gift. We need to open that gift. And so I encourage you this morning, if you have not opened that gift that Jesus has for you, I encourage you to do so. Because he loves you. But that gift is for those that have accepted Jesus Christ. And I know that's not a popular thing to say. God imputes righteousness on us as sinners by transforming us daily into his son. Through relationship and fellowship with Jesus, we become clean through his blood. His holiness and purity are transformed to us when we come into a relationship with him. Again, it's a heavy topic at times. But to, to finish off, just some, a few points to finish us off here. First, a quote from A.W. Tozer. So it becomes the devil's business to keep the Christian spirit imprisoned. He knows that believing and justified Christians have been raised up out of the grave of his sins and his trespasses. From that point on, Satan works that much harder to keep us, in, keep us bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in our own grave clothes. He knows that if we continue in this kind of bondage, we are not much better off than we were when we were spiritually dead. The devil is trying to keep us trapped. He does not want us to live out our life's full potential. Sorry, another movie quote. Think about the Matrix. And Neo. That's what I, I couldn't help myself when I was thinking about that. Think about that, right? He's the one. But what everything tried to, dis, to stop him from believing his potential. The enemy wants to, us to stay in that. He wants us to be as if, for those car people, he as if wants us to not be able to shift gears properly. Just stay in first gear. When we know that we've got five, six, or the new Fords, what do they have, ten or something like that. Right? He wants to keep us there. But there's so much more for us. And I felt that so much for today. That there's so much more. There's so much more for me. There's so much more for you. But he just wants us to kind of spin our wheels. We get some grip. And then he tries to come in with all the things that he comes at us with. But God has overcome. And to end, some thoughts from John Piper. And I'll close with these. When the lights are off in a room, you might be there with a monster called sin, ready to devour you. And with a great knight in shining armor called Jesus, ready to save you, but you can't see him because you're in the dark. And in the dark, the monster might have a warm, furry coat that feels attractive. And the armor of the night might feel cold and forbidden. 
But when the light goes on, you can see sin and Christ for what they really are. Sin is a horrible destroyer and Christ is our glorious Savior. When the light goes on, sin doesn't drop dead. The battle begins in earnest. But you see it the way God sees it and you hate it and you confess it and you fight it and you allow the Holy Spirit to walk with you through it. Thank you.